walked into the architecture building at the University of Houston, the South Coast, they had all the graphics on the walls and half of a Volkswagen up on it. And just everything in the world you can imagine was the way of the super graphics, they called them back in those days. And I thought, well, this is what I want to do. That's when I realized I wanted to get into architecture. That's Logan, carpenter, connoisseur of coincidences, and Angelica's darling dad. A history buff with a keen eye for how things are made, he sat down to chat about architecture, building, and other ethereal ingredients that make up his blueprint. I'm Amber, and here's Angelica with our weekly chat. Hi, Logan. Hi, Angelica. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on Chatty Crafties, a show where I celebrate my creative friends and family to get inspired by everyday art. You're my dad. I appreciate you staying later. You're here for my birthday weekend. We went to the Wildflower Center earlier today to check out our fort at Fortlandia, and then I kind of wrestled you into doing my podcast so I appreciate you sitting down with me tonight my pleasure oh good I kind of wanted to talk about like the connectivity of your creative brain because I've always known you to be a creative person and you're very playful and you always make things um your entire career has been as a carpenter, as a woodworker, um, but you always have like made things like little boxes, little um, nativity scenes, like your the nativity scene that you had on your coffee table, you would always kind of like add to, you would find little creative creatures to add to it. And so it wasn't just <laughs> your standard you know, here's a religious setting. It was more like, this is a scene. The Alamanger. The Alamanger. That's right. Um, where do you think this came from? Have you always been like that? Gosh, what a question. Um, Maybe it's too broad. Yeah, it's I don't know, synchronicity that one thing just leads to another. Yeah, that's right. You are a big fan of coincidences and connectivity and um, you do a lot of research, kind of like unintentional research. Um, or maybe I should say it's you do a lot of informal research. So you will get focused on something and you'll start reading a book about it and more books. What well, is that? Well, now about? I start with the oldest book I can find and, mm-hmm. and move forward and go from nonfiction to fiction and back again and just move on up to the present and into the future. So you're very historically conscious. Correct. Well, let's start with your history. So your dad, Floyd, was an engineer. Do you think that that had an influence on your creative upbringing? It probably led me into architecture. Mm-hmm. And he designed bridges in Houston, is that right? Bridges and, and roads and um, refineries and the strategic um, oil reserve was his last job down in the uh, salt domes and, uh, at Freeport. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you went to U of H for a little bit, University of Houston, for architecture. Um, 
did you kind of know early on that you wanted to go to school for designing and building? Well, I took mechanical drawing in high school, but it was it was all pretty straightforward, and I just thought one thing would lead to a, a job in architecture. I didn't realize how complex the world really is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing I'm always kind of fascinated about, there are stories for you and mom that kind of rotate around what y'all call the Alabama house. So... My understanding of this place is it's it was a big house on Alabama Street in Houston, Alabama and Austin Street. That's correct. And it had like 13 rooms that were rented out or something. Ten, ten people lived there, so it was $10 a piece a month. <laughs> and what year was this? 68? No, 1970, I think. 70, okay. Um and there were a lot of architecture students or all kinds of students? Mostly architecture students. Okay. Um, and one story that kind of came up a lot um, in my upbringing was the guys from Ant Farm, the artists from Ant Farm that... South Coast. South Coast. Are they not from Ant Farm? They kind of bled off into Ant Farm, but it was South Coast at the University of Houston. Okay. Ant Farm is more of a California organization. And those are the guys that did um, Cadillac Ranch. Cadillac Ranch. The the cars that are kind of headfirst in the ground and they're all spray painted now. Correct. But back then in 1970, you always talked about inflatables. That's what South Coast did a lot of is inflatables. And so we made a few ourselves. You guys in the Alabama house did, or those South Coast guys did, and everyone kind of joined in? They made their own, and theirs were better than ours. (laughs) And I couldn't ever picture this. Like, when you described it, what inflatables meant to me, I was like, balloons? Like, what is this? A a roll of polyethylene rolled out and taped along the edges and inflated with a uh, air blower. Okay, I'll include a picture of this in the blog post so that our listeners can understand what this is. And so, like, what would you do in there? Just go and sit and hang out? Or, like, what was the point of it creatively? Well, see, it was supposed to be a balanced... Gosh, what was the problem? Balanced ecological system. Which is what the problem was, but this is what we made. (laughs) (laughs) How did it, how was it received in class? This was the 60s, and so anything went. It, it just just kind of, well, I remember that, that nobody, we didn't really get a grade for it, I don't think. It was just, it was just kind of there. I mean, uh-huh. there was, there was a, a lot going on at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you were at U of H for like two years or something? Oh, about three and a half. Three and a half. Oh, you were so close, Dad. And so you went, my memory is that you went hitchhiking one summer. Is this true? We took a semester off and and I stayed with some friends in Connecticut and then I hitchhiked back. Oh, you hitchhiked back. That summer was when you started doing carpentry, right? Like you picked up some jobs. I I did a, a little work one summer and then after I quit school, that's when I started framing. Oh, okay. And just my entire life, that's what you've done is like... 
Because yeah. it was really hard for me starting out as a carpenter. I, was, I wasn't very good, you know, and you make, you, you make all the mistakes and you learn how to fix them. And I just gradually got better and better and learned learn how to select the wood and mm-hmm. split it. And when you got to just do what you have to do to it until it becomes natural. But it, yeah. it wasn't easy at first. I started out framing ap- apartments and then houses for quite a few years. Did you like it? I liked it. It was hard and hot mostly in the mm-hmm. summer, but I was doing something real. I liked it better once I got into houses, building houses, and then finally learned how to cut rafters and build the whole house. And gradually got into trim work. But before I got into trim, I guess it, I was into commercial buildings, doing commercial work, learning to fasten wood onto concrete and hmm. steel onto concrete and wood onto steel. Just all the little problems involved in uh, mm-hmm. building commercial buildings. What is the weirdest thing you found in a house? I found a, a penny that was in, in the concrete inside a stucco wall. It was a 19... 19- 31, I think that was the year the house was built. Oh, and we, really? were, we were putting a, a door through the wall, and we, we pulled this penny out of the concrete. And that was the year it was built. <laughs> That's cool. So someone intentionally probably I, I think so. I've heard of people doing things like that. In our house, when we bought it in 2008, and you were kind of here helping us reframe out some stuff after we demoed the walls, we found a knife in the wall. And we were always really weirded out. Like, why is this <laughs> knife here? And it might have been just a tool when they were like, you know, building. It just got left behind while they put up the drywall. But Tools get dropped into walls. Yeah. There's always mysterious stuff in there. So you met mom at the Alabama house, but y'all didn't get together until a lot later. This is a question from Matt. Did you feel like there was kind of a renaissance in that? interest in design and architecture and art because she's an artist did y'all have that in common did you talk about it yeah we we did um it was a a pretty general conversations i would say of art and architecture you know we were we were young sophomores and the art us architects were so, so yeah we talked about art and society and where everything was going and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The reason I think Matt was interested in that is because he and I share it. He and I talk about design all the time and it helps, I don't know, kind of explore ideas if you can bounce ideas off of someone or talk about the experience of going through a space. Like today, when we went through Fortlandia and checked out our blanket fort, it was kind of fun to watch you guys talk about it and he was showing you how we built it and, you know, all the difficult parts about that someone might not even think about like oh these pieces of steel were incredibly heavy and we were balancing it on the smallest part of the steel and making sure that the tarp that wrapped around it didn't catch on any steel in the bottom so you know putting those pieces of steel together must have been a real uh, trick it is nice to have somebody you can talk to that's for sure you know particularly when you're designing things and Mm -hmm. point out where you might be going wrong yeah I always thought it was helpful anytime I had a project I was working on, um, 
either for you or mom, if I was like, I don't really know the right material for this, or I don't really know the right way to start on this, or like, what's the longevity? Should I use this thing or the other thing? I always felt like I could call you or her to kind of get the right answer. Yeah, well, I've worked on carpenter crews, and some of them were people were antagonistic, and those kind of jobs are not much fun. But if you can work with people where you can bounce ideas off of a group of carpenters, and somebody will come up with a a good answer sometimes. It it doesn't always work, but sometimes it does work really well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I remember, um, I don't know what made me think of this just now, but I remember being like 11 or 12 and there were some scrap pieces of wood and I wanted to build a car like a go-kart maybe I watched some movie where they they made some you know racer that went down the uh, hill or something and so I built a car out of wood that didn't move it was just for sitting in it was almost like a Flintstones car where there was like a hole in the floor do you remember this yeah I kind of do I remember the guitar more than the car Oh, yeah. That was fun. John and I worked on that. Yeah, y'all basically made my science project. (laughs) I told you what I wanted. Um, And it was like fishing line for the cords, and y'all made the... The The strings. The string, yeah, for the strings. And um, I can't even remember why that would be a science project. I had to build an instrument, I guess. Yeah, and so we did. Yeah, y'all built it for me. Oh man, yeah. I, I wish loved we still those. had that. I know. I wonder what happened to it. I loved having those little projects. Well, that rocking chair is my favorite. Where I took some scraps and made that rocking horse that that you and Floyd used to rock on. And so that is actually a really good point. You will find a piece of wood, and that piece of wood had a knot in it that looked like an eye. Yeah, I cut it out so it was right where the eye would be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you kind of base your design around some inherent characteristic of that material. And, you know, I feel like that is really playful. I think well, of you that that's way. What a carpenter does, you size up your material and, and cut away the defects and um, produce whatever it is you're working on. Yeah. Cut you, your wood. And I think of this in the same quality. Like, you will find a piece of wood that you're like, I bet this will be a really perfect way to shim up under a door. You had a piece for like three or five years, and you're like, oh, you're going under the house? I got a piece of wood to put under your house. <laughs> I've had, I actually have had it in my truck for a while, and I feel like I need to put it under there. And you did that last year. Yeah. It was like to, to shore up. It was up just the right size of piece of wood, too. Yeah. And everything came together. That sort of thing, you've actually passed on to me because I will hold on to something. And I'm like, I'm going to use this thing for something. I don't know what yet, <laughs> but it feels very useful. Well, that's good. I like that. Yeah. It's very frugal and at the same time imaginative of like, I'm going to reuse and reapply this thing. Well, some people would think you're keeping garbage. Yeah. <laughs> but these days, there are lots of movements that encourage it. I don't think it's always been that way. So you were talking about the Alamanger. The Alamo is something you're very interested in and focused on as far as just your daily 
interests and research. Um, what do you think triggered that first interest? What got you into it? Well, I was a Davy Crockett kid on my fifth-year-old birthday. I had Davy Crockett everything, clothes and cake and toys and guns. And, <laughs> and I guess I had a lot of time back in 1984, and I, I heard about the uh, the diary, supposedly, where Davy Crockett surrendered, and then, then maybe that diary was faked, falsified, so I started reading about that and then just got back into the, the whole history of the Alamo and Texas history, the De La Pena diary. Oh, okay. And one crazy coincidence that Matt and I have always been tickled by is you had something recorded off of the History Channel. And you're like, oh. I want to show you this. There's, it's really interesting. A bunch of people were interviewed. And one of the people was Matt's uncle. And we had no idea that he did this special on the history channel he oh, is actually right. yeah. one of the like foremost researchers he's an archaeologist and um uncle jake is a really funny little guy and he it was like his stats came up on the page and it was like james ivy age whatever interests whatever and he had found one of the corners of the alamo that is under plexiglass that's like the west the wall the west wall um but you're like yeah this this part's really interesting and we're like do you realize who this person is <laughs> like we know him <laughs> we could call him right now um and so i always thought that random coincidence was so funny that we have well, well that, and he wrote a book with Jack Jackson, who was an old underground cartoonist in the, from the Zap comics, who got into historical cartoons, uh, graphic comics, graphic novels, and that was what kind of led me back into Texas history, because Jackson did some historical graphic novels. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So there's more synchronicity. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. So mom reminded me yesterday when I was calling her, asking her what I should put on my questions list in case I forgot anything. And she said that you are actually a pretty neat artist. Like you can draw. You and I trade letters to each other every once in a while. Like especially when I first went to college back in 99 we would write letters to each other and like in your handwritten letters, there were little doodles and symbols and drawings. And I always thought that was really sweet. Do you think of yourself as an artist? Not really as an artist. I've here lately, I've started getting back into drawing maps and things and trying to get my line quality back again. So mm -hmm. I, I would like to do some Texas maps and oh, yeah. now that I have more time on my hands. So I, I don't know if I would call it art, but, uh, I don't know what I would really call it. Do you consider yourself a writer? Um, because you have definitely written my entire life. Yeah. Short well, stories. I wrote that one novella, and mm -hmm. uh, Doug read it on his honeymoon. He's the only person that's ever read it. Doug that. is another friend of ours. <laughs> Dad likes to jump <laughs> in, too, as if <laughs> everyone listening already knows. Know. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to get Doug on this podcast. I've already asked him. Just trying to schedule a win. Um, yeah. And I've always thought of you as being a really creative writer. Do you... I think the only obstacle we've ever really had was computers. 
and like <laughs> moving one um, document from a really old Apple two GS <laughs> to like on a floppy disk to current computers that don't have such drives anymore. So, do you still like handwrite? Print with a, with a pen mm -hmm. and a notebook. Still, I'm a caveman. <laughs> mm. um, and are you, do you have a, a piece that you're working on right now? Oh, I, I, I've kind of been trying to shape something up, but uh, it hasn't really gotten very far. But you've definitely put in like hundreds of pages towards one idea. Oh, yeah. Well, I wrote the Western for over 10 years, probably. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, Try to, to uh, dig up all the history and make it all right and real. What does writing do for you? Um, it, it draws up my unconscious, I, I think. I, I find uh, stuff hidden in my unconscious, subconscious, wherever it is. Mm -hmm. And what about building? Building and making... What does that do for you? It's, it's, it's fun to, to create real things and, uh, I don't know, straight, square, plumb, and level. Uh, it's, it's just a challenge, and I enjoy a challenge, doing something real. You're also um, a surfer. Ex-surfer. Ex-surfer as of last weekend. <laughs> you tried to go out there when the hurricane... Big Wednesday. Yeah, brought up some beautiful waves and... You rightly listened to your body when it was saying, "Don't go out there." No, I couldn't. I, I couldn't make it out. We were just too big. But um, you know, you always went down to Surfside, and as a kid, gosh, we went down almost every weekend during. Not the quite that often, but I'd try, and if we couldn't catch waves, we'd try and catch fish. But once you once you're on a, a board out in the the lineup, it's like being one with the ocean. So yeah, I feel like there's something spiritual about that. Oh yeah. Um, watching the birds and the dolphins and the fish. You never know what's going to pop up till you're there. Did you ever write about surfing? Oh, a, a little bit, you know, just, I just kind of write things and fill up notebooks. Yeah, I do the same thing. The setting can be anything, anywhere, and so you write about what you know. You just have to be there. You have to drive down, because people say there's no ways in Texas, and but you have to go down there. You have to be there. Yeah, being present, taking a chance, going out there, and getting on top of the world is what you always said. I've been out at the end of the jetties riding six, eight-foot waves all by myself. Yeah, I was always very impressed. I had trouble turning i could go in a straight line but then i would kind of run out of steam because i couldn't kick the board back and forth to keep going those big waves like that you had to get up and turn as you were standing up there wasn't any big fat bottom turns you had to get in and crank it and get across the face of the wave that's the only way to make it mm -hmm. i definitely think that those could be details in a story if you haven't already included them or if you I've written it all out somewhere. I'm not sure if there's a story involved, but it, uh, some it, somewhere it's written down. Yeah. You know, the euphoria of catching a wave. Charlie Don't Surf. <laughs> what is that? Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes it's like flashcards, like, wait, what is this <laughs> detail from? <laughs> I've got to catch it. Is there anything that you were interested in but never really dove into and kind of wished you had? 
Mm, wish I'd have been a, a better trim carpenter, but I kept getting pulled back off onto the framing. But uh, mm. other than that, I don't know. Or you kind of always followed those interests and delved into whatever looked sparkly and seemed connected. Yeah, chase those shining objects. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish up. I've got some some ideas about the Texas coast. Some drawings I want to do. Treasure maps. The secret history of Texas. Let's put it that way. Do you see a similarity between yourself and your dad? Well, in ways, he always liked projects. He liked having things to do. Uh, he was a much better mathematician and engineer. But he liked having a carpenter in the family at the same time. Did he have you build things for him? Or did y'all build things together? Um, I used to help him on some of his surveying projects. But I would do things around the house. Your mom and I re-roofed their house. and. Uh, oh. You know, just little things. I would, I, if I didn't have anything to do, I might go fix something over there. And he was always happy, you know, to sit young. What about Grandma? Was she creative? Did y'all? Mm, I don't remember her being creative, um, other than just with the household. Yeah, and cooking. Yeah, she wasn't really creative, but she, you know, she she got it done. She that was her 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 joy, you know, her yeah. life, her family. I um. I always remembered her meatloaf being really good. Yeah. She was better at some things than others. Is there any other creative thing that you do that you want to talk about? I like making things with my granddaughters when I can. Mm -hmm. uh, Ivy and I made a, a birdhouse, my other, my other granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And it's always fun to, to do things with them. Just make carving up a jack-o'-lantern was fun. Yeah. I feel like you're really good at being present with kids, especially. Uh, I love little kids, especially my granddaughters, but uh, it's too bad they have to grow up and to be adults. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that childlike wonder never left you, that you kind yeah, of... Maybe that's what it is, you know, but you, you know, you got to enjoy the world. I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful thing, wonderful place, and... Yeah. People just ruin it. <laughs> I was about to say you're very very positive. <laughs> but I think maybe it is just that um yeah, that like openness that kids have of like, I wanna make this thing. What does music do for you creatively? Mm, frozen dark textures, frozen music is something I wish I could do. I wish I had learned. I never did, but uh because you, you really enjoy listening to music. You've oh, got yeah. just hundreds of records. Thousands. Thousands of records. You've got thousands of books. I feel like you hunt for inspiration. Um, and the inspiration could just be, you know, just what it does for you. Well, one thing leads to another, you know, and, and sometimes you hear music and I try and remember what it is or where it came from, you know, and keeps the brain uh, fresh, keep rewiring it. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite band or musician? Oh, Jerry Garcia. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was dreaming about him last night. We were hanging out in San Francisco, me and your mom. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. 
And yeah. my middle name is Rose because... Robert Hunter wrote so many songs. Let's see. Uh, what's that song? Uh, Ramble on Rose? Well, that's what I said. But uh, Oh, but you didn't mean it? <laughs> well, that was what was they were playing. But it's uh, it must have been the Roses. Okay. And there's a lot of symbolism with all of the Grateful Dead images. Skull and Roses. Yeah. Do you have a favorite architect or structure that stood out to you that inspired you i really like that building we saw today that tower i was totally amazed that was a beautiful piece of work i don't i could never do something like that that stone tower with the uh, at the wildflower at the wildflower center yeah that was really neat yeah i like towers i like there's one in chickamauga looks like a chess rook oh yeah so, like, formal structures or just not house-shaped? Are those just kind of because you didn't build them you're interested in? I, I like architecture. I don't necessarily like architects, you know, and builders <laughs> and society that's over, over-developing over things now. It's like, it's like we've got enough, but it, it's not going to stop. So, Especially in Austin, you know, they'll just demo these old houses. I get letters... And um, calls from realtors all the time just aching to buy my tiny, tiny house so that they can tear it down <laughs> and build three houses on the lot and, um, you know, just sell it. Like the, the yeah. culture of it isn't there. They're not like wanting to keep the character of the neighborhood. Oh, no. That's what I said. I could imagine a developer standing up on that tower today, looking mm-hmm. around at all that empty acreage, imagining what he could do to it. Yeah. All of those beautiful acres and old oak um, trees, oak trees and... at the Wildflower Center. Yeah. That's I, can, some... I couldn't believe there was that much space still left. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's protected. Some people look at space and they're like oh i want to fill that up and there are other types of people that see that space and they're like i want to preserve it i want to enhance it i want to bring it back to what it was and so i think that is something that is um that matt and i kind of mesh together because having landscape architecture and architecture in one household we're thinking about the entire space that's a good combination i think yeah you balance each other out because I think a lot of architects only think of the house in um, a vacuum. They don't imagine how you would get out of your car and, like, make your way to the front door. And, like, if you want to go outside and play with your kids or play with your animals or just go sit outside somewhere, that's not part of the scope of the design. And that's usually why we get called places, because they're like, please make sense of my space outside. Yeah, they always told us in school that if you've designed your house right, you don't need a decorator when you're done. And if you've designed your site right, you you, you are the landscape architect, you know, mm-hmm. that you, you've done. It's all one package. Yeah. Rhubarb. Yeah, you have a thing with rhubarb. We haven't even <laughs> talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> you will call me with like a comic strip you found where like rhubarb is the punchline or actors would act like they're talking, right? Like a crowd would make Uh-oh. noise yeah. and they Peas would be... and carrots, sp- rhubarb, 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 yeah, the, the yeah. murmurings of the murmurings crowd. Yeah. Of the crowd yeah. Rhubarb is like a, a one one word punchline. It's the, the, the funny pie in the comics that nobody likes, the 
funny plan in the books. There's so many books where they rebar gets mentioned, but it's I don't know. There's a one O Henry story where he's talking about uh said your flag whether it's a a uh, clover or a banana vine or a pie plant, long may it wave. You know, and the pie plant, of course, is rhubarb. Is it always known as pie plant? Because you make well, it's just another, another, another name That's for it. That's a common yeah, name for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, a, you've definitely found it in unlikely places. I can't believe how many books. I've, I've, I've written them all down. It's hard to remember them all. But it, it, you've got the, a running list of rhubarb yeah, references. Yeah. Uh, as the lady said when she went into Donovan's Reef, I promise not to start any rhubarbs. R- rhubarbs are arguments in a baseball game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dad. It's the last question. If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be? A rhubarb woodcutter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Dad. I appreciate you sitting down with me. My pleasure. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties. Thanks to all you boils and ghouls who submitted your handcrafted Halloween costume photos. Please see our gallery at chattycrafties.com to see them all. This episode was scored by Berm and Swale. Produced by me, Amber Moreno and hosted by Angelica Norton right here at Open Envelope Studio. Thanks for listening. Now go finish your costume. <laughs>